Thank you, worship team. Kids, you are dismissed for Children's Church. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6. And as we come to this part of the passage, we find the concluding thoughts that the Apostle Paul shares with us. You know, I came across a news story just this week about a school system that was considering outlawing the use of the term Easter. They felt that we needed to become more tolerant and that by using the term Easter, we were being intolerant to those who don't particularly observe Easter. See, apparently it's okay to be intolerant of Christian beliefs uh, by forbidding them to express anything about it. And uh, in the name of tolerance, we will allow every other belief to express what they believe. And it's unfortunate. And you know, much the same thing was going on in the Galatian church. There were a group of false teachers who had come into the Galatian church, and basically what they were trying to do was make this newfound faith in Jesus Christ more palatable. You see, they believed that if they could retain some of the practices of Judaism, circumcision, the observance of feasts and other things, that perhaps the offense of the cross would somehow be diminished. But here's the problem. When God gives us His truth, we should never look at what others think and say, how can I make this more palatable to people? What we need to do is ask ourselves, what has God said? How am I to observe His Word and live it out and make decisions about our life on the basis of that? We should never go along to get along at the expense of God's truth. So what had happened with the Galatians was this group had come in seeking to basically dial back the church and make it in no way different from Judaism. And as a result, there was confusion in the Galatian church. And really, what we find in the book of Galatians, as we've looked through six chapters now, is Paul's statement to the Galatian church that it's by grace that we're saved. Nothing that we do adds to it, and we need to take our stand on the truth of the gospel, the gospel that was given by Christ Jesus to the apostles and then given by the apostles to the church. What we find for all of us as Christians is this battle that sometimes rages. Am I here to impress the rest of the world? Or am I here to please God? And it's important that we come up with an honest answer to that question. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Now when we come to the 11th verse, I want you to notice that the Apostle Paul is sharing with us that his closing thoughts, his closing words are are very important to him because he says, see with what large letters I write as I, I use as I write to you with my own hand. Now, Why did he say this in the 11th verse? Primarily, it's because many Bible scholars believe the Apostle Paul had problems with his eyes. And so, 
for many of his letters, the Apostle Paul actually gave dictation to somebody who would write down his thoughts. But at the conclusion of the Galatian letter, he wanted to write his concluding thoughts himself. So he had to use larger letters. Now, why would small letters or large letters matter? Think about this for a moment. In the first century, writing materials were extremely expensive. You didn't go to Staples and say, give me a ream of paper, and if you make a mistake, crumble it up and throw it away. They were printed on animal skins or on papyrus, so it was extremely expensive. So they would use small letters, and they would jam them together as closely as they could, but What Paul wanted to do at the conclusion of Galatians was, I want you to see how important these thoughts are to me, so I'm writing them with larger letters in my own hand so that you can see my heart, hear what I have to communicate to you. And that's what we find as we come to that 11th verse. So what was so important? What was so important that he used larger letters and perhaps more paper than he needed to in order to communicate with the Galatian church? This is what we find. As we come to the 12th verse, the Apostle Paul began to share with them that we aren't here to impress those who reject God's Word. As a matter of fact, there are three considerations that we need to have when we think about trying to impress those who are outside the faith. And these are impressions that we need to understand. So I want you to think about these impressions with me. First of all, if I'm trying to impress those who reject God's Word, then basically I'm conforming to man-made rules rather than what God has said. Now look at the 12th verse. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. What the Apostle Paul was saying is this. This particular group that had come into the Galatian church wanted those outside the faith to be impressed with what they were doing. So you know what they did? They took rules that had already been established by God to be set aside by those who come to Christ. You don't need to be circumcised in order to have a relationship with God. You don't need to follow all of the feasts and covenants in order to have a relationship with God. You come to God by your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The Word of God, the Gospel, had established that. And yet, there was a group of people that came into the church and they said, no, we're going to reimpose these and other rules on the church. And... Therefore, they elevated man-made rules above what God had said and, in essence, were rejecting what God had said. Now, I want you to think for a moment about man-made rules. Man-made rules change. Day to day, week to week, year to year, they change, don't they? In the first century, the big issue was circumcision, right? We see it mentioned in many of Paul's letters to where that was a major issue in the church. When was the last time you heard circumcision discussed as a major issue in the church? Within a couple of centuries, it was moot. They moved on to something else. Circumcision was replaced by something else 
and therefore man-made rules died in and of themselves. And you know, that's what we find. Very often the things that we fight about that aren't directly addressed in God's Word, they're forgotten within a generation. And we've moved on to something else. When we follow man-made rules, we're always going to have a change. There's not going to be an absolute. There's not going to be something that we can hold on to and say, this is true for all people all the time. But when we follow God's Word and God's truth, we can. God's Word, God's truth remains constant. Man's rules, man's ideas are always in flux. So if we're seeking to impress those who reject God's Word, we're going to find that the game always changes. There's always going to be something that will change. And that's because man's impressions and perceptions always change. You know, I like the way Paul phrases this first part of the 12th verse. He talks about those who want to make a good impression. You know what the term good impression is a literal translation of if we took the word in the original Greek? It means we put a good face on it. We always want to have things that people will look at and say, wow, you're so spiritual, you're so good. We want to put a good face on the things that we do. So if I'm always trying to put a good face on it as far as how man measures things, I'll never hit the mark. Because it always changes. God's Word remains constant. God's Word remains the same. I like the way the New American Standard translated the first part of this verse. It says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised. Now what I like is the way they translated impression. They want to make a good showing. Really, when we are trying to impress men, everything is external, isn't it? There's nothing internal. There's nothing that's motivated by the Spirit of God. It's all motivated by my own desires, my own flesh. As I'm seeking to make a good impression, I'm looking at how I'll be received by people. So when I'm with one group of people, I'll be one way, and with another group of people, I'll be another way, and there won't be any consistency in my life. If I forget that and understand that I'm just here to please God, there will always be consistency. And that's what God wants to see in us. He doesn't want to see a bunch of people who have... I'm going to put a good face on this because I know that these people are concerned about this and I'm going to put a good face on this aspect because I know there are people concerned about that. Then men drive our decisions rather than God. It's important that we understand that God drives our decisions. God is the one that we're to seek to please in every single thing that we do. We need to avoid that outward emphasis and notice it says that they were trying to compel these people to be circumcised. In other words, they were seeking to intimidate people into going along with what they said. Listen, as a person who stands for the truth, there may be times when you stand alone. There may be times where you will face difficulty where those around you ridicule you, persecute you, make your life difficult. 
Don't be compelled by them to do something that you know is wrong. God wants us to live as those who are committed to His truth, pleasing Him, not pleasing men by following man-made rules. I like what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. Am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers, that the Gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. This is the Gospel that we serve. Not man-made, always consistent, always true. And God wants us to understand we're to please Him, not the men, not the people around us. Now a second consideration. If I'm seeking to impress those who reject God's Word, not only am I conforming to man-made rules, but I'm cooperating with enemies of the cross. When we read this 12th verse, we find that in the next sentence of the 12th verse, it says the only reason they do this, speaking of those who were conforming to what man wanted rather than what God wanted, the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. In other words, many were finding it easier to take the truth of the Gospel, which is centered on the cross of Jesus Christ, and watering it down to where they added to the cross something else. Something that men wanted added to the cross. As a result, they robbed the Gospel of its power. Now I want you to think about the first century for a moment. When we talk about the cross, we see it as something that's wonderful. Something that's good. Something that expresses the very core of our faith. The crucifixion of Jesus Christ. But you have to remember in the first century, the cross wasn't viewed that way. As a matter of fact, earlier in the book of Galatians, we saw that the cross was actually viewed as a curse by the Jews. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. When Christians were talking to the Jewish community about following this rabbi who was crucified, they looked at that and scratched their head and said, how could you follow somebody who, who was cursed by being crucified? It was a stumbling block for them, we're told in Scripture. Great confusion came as a result of it. So, some were thinking, you know, in order to reach the Jewish community, instead of talking about the cross so much, we'll talk about circumcision. We'll talk about festivals. We'll talk about our areas of agreement. We'll kind of tone down the cross and ratchet up some of the other things that we can do. Folks, that's a bad approach to sharing the Gospel. Don't veil, don't hide the truth of the Gospel. Don't look at it and say, I'll make the Gospel more palatable. God's truth is given by revelation we saw earlier. Not by human reason. And you know, there are many churches 
many philosophies now that are trying to tone down the gospel to make it more palatable. We should never go there. We should understand that the cross is the power of the gospel. We should with Paul, like he said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We should agree with that. Don't tone down the gospel to make it more palatable. If it's an offense, let it offend them to salvation. Because when you rob the gospel of the cross, you rob the gospel of its power. Then the Greeks, they had issues with the cross. Paul said this, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the Gentiles, they looked at it and they said, now wait a minute. You're telling me that God came to earth and died for man? That doesn't fit my understanding of who God is and what He would do. Why would you teach that? That's foolishness. And you know, once again, it's very easy for us to be called foolish by the rest of the world. Those around us look at the idea of even the concept of God Himself as foolishness. Certainly the idea of yielding our lives in service to God as a waste of time. Utter foolishness. The idea of me turning to a man who lived 2,000 years ago for the hope of my salvation to them is utter foolishness. So as Christians, do we tone down our message because they look at us as foolish? Because they view our religion as a crutch? No. Man's ideas of how one comes to God has changed, morphed. There's a new idea almost every year as to how someone comes into a relationship with God. God's truth has remained the same. And His provision, the provision of Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross brings us salvation, is unique in all of the approaches to a relationship with God. It alone brings us into a relationship with God by grace and faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross. Don't diminish that message to make it more palatable. You see, when we start thinking like that, when we start saying to ourselves, how can I take the truth that God has revealed and make it less offensive? You know what we're doing? We're thinking like the world. We are indeed thinking like the enemies of the cross of Christ. Paul said this, I've often told you before and now, say again, even with tears, Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Why? Because they mind earthly things. Their mind is on earthly things. We don't want to join that philosophy. We don't want to join them in minding earthly things. God has given us the gospel 
the truth of God's Word because it changes lives. It rescues people. So we can't distort the Gospel that has been given. That's why in the first chapter, the Apostle Paul said this, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a Gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Don't change what God has revealed. That's where truth is. Changing it destroys it and those who hear that message. Third consideration. We are complicit with legitimizing false teaching. If I cave and I decide, you know what, I'll go along to get along, I am in essence lending credibility to the philosophies and thought processes that stand opposed to the gospel. Let me repeat that. If I cave and go along with what those who are enemies of the cross are saying, I am basically legitimizing what they're saying rather than holding forth the truth of God. It's vital that we stand for God's truth. We need to understand something. In our world today, you're viewed as intolerant if you look at a truth and say this is truth and there's no truth besides it. Aren't we really told that by our culture, our society? You're being intolerant. But let me tell you something. Truth by its very nature, is intolerant of error. One plus one is two. That's true. One plus two isn't two. One plus zero isn't two. One plus one is two. That's true. Anybody who comes with a different idea is not speaking the truth. So it's intolerant of error. When God tells us His truth in His Word, He is speaking forth the truth as to how we have a relationship with the Father. So if a person from another religion comes to us and says, well, I like to think that a person has a relationship with God by this. If we go along with that, we have legitimized their position and we are standing as enemies of the truth of God. For those who were in the Galatian church, they were afraid to take a stand for the truth because they might face persecution. They might face those who would want to cease to do business with them. They might face those who would seek to lock them up. They might face any number of ways of being persecuted, excluded from their family, you name it. There was that temptation to go along with what was being said, to get along with everyone, and thereby miss persecution. But what the Word of God tells us is we need to take a stand. Take a stand for the truth of God, even if it means persecution, we stand for the truth. You see, for the false teachers, if they could compel people to go along with what they were saying, then those people 
would be able to be boasted about. Look at the 13th verse carefully. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised. Now look at this, that they may boast about your flesh. What was their goal? Their goal was to say, look at all these followers who believe what we believe. Because we have so many followers who believe what we believe, it must be true. That's the way people think. Now, we all know that the number of people who believe something has nothing to do with the truth, right? For instance, at a point in world history, everyone believed that the earth was flat. Did that make it true? No. You don't find truth by taking a poll or voting on it. Truth is what truth is. Whether you believe it or not, it's there, right? My opinion about the truth won't change the truth. So here were these false teachers coming into the Galatian church, compelling people to follow their model of spirituality by obeying the law, and it was purely for the purpose of promoting their agenda. So what does that say to us today? What it says to us is this. Don't capitulate. Don't give in. No matter what the pressure, do not abandon the truth of God as it's revealed in His Word. Because when you do it, you're legitimizing whoever you're caving to. And we need to be careful of that. There are some who are just more interested and building a constituency than they are in following the truth. Even in the first century, Paul warned the elders at Ephesus, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and do what? Distort the truth. Why? In order to draw away disciples after them. There are those who distort the truth so that they can impress people and have them as followers, and we are to be cautious of that. We're to follow God's truth, not man's. Now, as we progress through the text, thankfully, it doesn't end there. We go on and we start to see that we can stand on the truth of God's Word no matter what. And what we want to do are look at three keys that we can put into practice that will guard us from giving up the truth and giving up on it. First, as we come to the 14th verse, we find the Apostle Paul say, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do we take away from that? What we need to see initially is this. We are to confess boldly the cross of Christ. When you compare that to what many of those who were trying to water down the gospel were doing, they, they minimized the cross. What Paul said, I do, is I boast in the cross. Now that word boast carries with it the idea of, of glorying in it. He looked at it as something that was worthy of lifting up high. 
Now, some of us might look and say, now, wait a minute, it's wrong to boast. Well, let me say this. Boasting depends on the object of your boasting. If boasting is about me, and I'm usurping the glory that God deserves, then you're absolutely right. Boasting is out of order. But if I'm boasting in what Jesus Christ has done, giving glory to Him, then there's everything in order with that. And this is what Paul said he was doing. You see, if I'm boasting in myself, I'm forgetting who gave me what I have to accomplish anything, and that's God. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, what makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Boasting in that case had the wrong object. Myself. But boasting in Jesus Christ is quite a different matter. Expressing glory to Him because of what He did for us, that's always appropriate. So rather than being ashamed of the cross, as believers, we're to glory in it. That's to be something that's core and central to our faith, lived out in front of those around us. I quoted this verse earlier, but it bears repeating. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, than for the Gentile. That's how we're to approach the truth of God. Boast in the cross. Understand its centrality in our faith. Never apologize for the cross of Christ, but boast in it. Secondly, second key, we're to commit ourselves unreservedly to Jesus Christ. I want you to look at the second half of that 14th verse. We boast in the cross of Jesus Christ through which, and it's speaking of the cross, the world has been crucified. Now here the Word of God is talking about commitment. In other words, the most important thing in my life is God. I have considered myself dead to the things of this world and alive to God and for all of the draw that this world would have on me as said to me. God wants us to live as those who have been changed by the cross of Jesus Christ. If I live according to the world, and let's define world, world is that ordered system that stands opposed to the things of God. If I live in accordance with this world, in other words, if I live just like everyone else who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, then the cross has had no impact on me. It's had no effect. I haven't been crucified with Christ. If my chief goal is to please this world and this world system, then I'm not a follower of Christ. And I need to come to terms with that. Earlier in Galatians, Paul said this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So the Word of God wants us to understand 
that we have been crucified with Christ. That this world system should not have a hold on us. If I'm still alive to what a world system that stands opposed to God, if I'm lining up with them, if I'm coming to a place to where I say, I believe what they believe, then I'm not a follower of God. Look at what the world is described as as in God's Word. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you catch that? If I am no different than the rest of the world, the Bible lays it on the line, then the love of God isn't in my life. I haven't experienced it. I haven't experienced the change. Then look at the 16th verse. Everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. And then look at what happens. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Do you catch that? I'm not saying we become perfect. I'm not saying that there won't be temptations and desires that we will face from the world. What I am saying is this. If I give in to everything that the world draws me into on a consistent basis, then I haven't really crucified myself to it. I haven't committed myself to God. Am I going to mess up? You better believe it. But my desire and my commitment rests in crucifying myself to these things. Third key. We count being a new creation as of greatest importance. Look at verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. Now look at the last part. I love this. What counts is a new creation. You know what this is saying? The externals mean nothing. Look, it's not how often you go to church. It's not any of the external things that you do that makes you a new creation. What makes you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Your personal faith in Him. Believing that He died on the cross for your sins and yielding yourself to Him. That's what makes a new creation. None of the stuff that we do, it's the heart, it's the attitude. It's me saying, I am willing to give up these things for you. Now you change me and transform me so that I can. That's the idea. And God does it. God transforms us. God changes us. He makes us that new creation. When Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. This being born again is this concept of a new creation. When we embrace Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, He puts a new nature in us. He gives us the opportunity to become new creations. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. God wants us to understand that through His transformation, we become new creatures, new creations because of His power. It's not what we do. It's what Christ did. That's the truth that we find in God's Word. 
And that's the truth that transforms. So what he's saying here is don't get hung up on all the externals and pleasing people and trying to get people to look at you and say, oh, aren't you wonderful? What we're to commit ourselves to is the truth of the Gospel that God has delivered us from sin. God has delivered us from the power of this world. I'm to live the truth of the Gospel out of gratitude for what He's done for me. That's the way God wants us to live. Now, look at the last part. Verse 16. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. When we conclude this passage, the Scripture is telling us that that peace and that mercy is available to all. Here's the thing. Those who are church that were trying to take the church and draw it back into Judaism really had it backwards, didn't they? You see, it isn't that the church goes back into Judaism to be right with God. The idea is that those who counted on the law to have a relationship with God needed to come to Christ and then He would bring them into the church and be a part of the fellowship of Jews and Gentiles alike in the family of God. They had it backwards. They wanted to take people out of the church and bring them back into Judaism. And God was saying, if you want my peace, my mercy, even you, Israel of God, then you come the right way through Jesus Christ, by His grace, placing your faith in Him. Isn't it great that God's peace and God's mercy is available to all? Jew or Gentile, male or female, rich or poor. We all come the same way, and that's through the cross of Christ. At no point can any of us stand before God and say, this is what I did to have a relationship with you. We all come and we say, this is what Christ did that gives me that relationship with you. It's humbling, but what a blessing. What a blessing it is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the truth of Your Word, a truth that stands through all time. Father, may we have the wisdom to not distort or in any way change the Gospel that You've given us through revelation. Let us not cave because of peer group pressure or because we think in some way we can make the gospel more palatable that someone might receive it. Lord, let us never rob the gospel of its power. But let us remember, the gospel is truth that has been given by you and anything we do to change it only distorts it. Thank you for your word which is that clear revelation of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.